Listener Production. How do you eat when you're floating around in space? I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing, a podcast about the science of everything. Astronauts have got to eat. Their bodies are under serious stress, so a balanced diet is super important. But not only is the act of sitting down for a meal quite different in space, but your food options are much more limited. There's no Uber Eats in space, just yet. Today, I talk to Cosmos Magazine journalist Evrim Yazgan about space food, how we can grow food in space, and the tricky balance to keeping astronauts healthy, but also keeping their tummies fully satisfied. So Evram, space food, one of the first things coming to mind is that episode of The Simpsons where Homer travels to space Mm -hmm. and then he cracks open that packet of potato chips and they start floating around the spacecraft and they freak out because they're going to jam all the instruments. Yeah, no, I love it. And then he starts munching them to the tune of the uh, Blue Danube Bolts by Strauss. I I love that scene. Mm -hmm, mm <laughs> Beautiful. That was tone deaf. Okay, but look, I know I know there's more to space food than this. So uh-huh. run us through how astronauts eat their food up in space. I'm so excited. What does lunch or dinner usually look like for an astronaut ever? Yeah, so some of it's pretty normal, some of it's pretty out there. Astronauts typically stick to the standard three meals throughout the day. Okay, yep. I imagine it can be confusing to eat in space, though, when your body and brain aren't regulated to the day and night cycle like they are here on Earth. Yeah. But for the most part, it comes in tins or vacuum packs, so like these little packets that have been sucked in to become completely flat. They're nutritious as anything. They can come as protein pastes. Like uh, CrossFitters eat when they go to the CrossFit games and then they just suck those little tubes of like high density protein energy. Exactly. And I think that all CrossFitters are actually secretly training to become astronauts. (laughs) Um, So yeah, they're stuffed full of protein for sustenance and all of the kind of nutrition that an astronaut would need to do what they do while they're up there in space. I don't know about you, but like eating my food in weird protein goop paste doesn't sound super appealing to me. Yeah. uh, Look, I could get down with that. My favorite food is yogurt. Oh, actually, I love yogurt. Yeah. No, what am I talking about? That is literally (laughs) a protein paste. I take it back. Basically. So like I said before, the diets of astronauts are pretty strict and calculated. And this is actually really hard to do to make sure that they have everything they need. But the other issue is that it's very difficult to provide super duper yummy foods that we know they're going to enjoy and feel completely satisfied after they've eaten. Because if you look at the bigger picture, food isn't just about sustenance. And I know you and I can attest to this. Mm -hmm. Eating is not just about meeting a certain nutritional criteria. There's so much more that we associate food with. We eat food because we enjoy it. It's also ingrained into culture and experience. It's incredibly social. So eating the same vacuum packs or protein paste over and over, especially when you're in an environment like space, is not going to be the most enjoyable food experience. And so something called menu fatigue is especially real for astronauts. It's literally getting so bored that you've eaten something to death. 
I should say, I was thinking of like what I've got sick of in the past. Uh-huh. For lunch, I get really lazy when I have to make my own lunch at home. Mm. And I love like a little tuna four bean salad with like some sun-dried tomatoes and then maybe Very some like good. chopped spring onions, like some mm-hmm. capers and stuff. It turns out though, as delicious as that is, if you have that every day for weeks, like it's a nightmare and you never want to eat four bean mix ever again. I can imagine, but I do know that there's something that you'll never get sick of. No, you know, that's right. I just I just bring it up again and again. This is, It's your fault this time. Sugar-free Ribena. Like I have talked about this, like the low-jewel Ribena cordial. I drink that every single day. I have at least several glasses. Uh-huh. My thirst will never be quenched, ever. Oh, look, it's a problem. That is me with Coke Zero, I've got to say. Oh, and. Yeah. I know for sure if you ever decide to become an astronaut, I think Mm -hmm. maybe you could discuss with some researchers about whether or not you can solely live off Ribena. Those um, squeezy packets kind of do remind me of astronaut food. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind. All right, Evram, so overcoming menu fatigue, so keeping astronauts' tummies happily full, let's take a closer look at this. How do we do it? So I think the best way to look at managing food fatigue is to look at what else is possible when it comes to taking food into space. For one, it's incredibly expensive to take stuff into space. That's not limited to just food. As a ballpark figure, it costs around $2,400 to put one kilogram of anything into low Earth orbit. What? Low Earth orbit, for anyone who doesn't know, means altitude of less than 1,000 kilometres, but could be as low as 160 kilometres above the surface. That is wild. Yeah, and this blows out to $470,000 for the moon, so per kilogram. Per one kilogram, $470,000. My gosh! It's expensive. So realistically, the less we can take into space, the better. And one alternative here is to actually grow food while astronauts are up there. Oh, okay. So I'm not envisaging like huge pastoral like crops, like corn. We're growing rice fields out on the moon. No, that would be uh, a turning of the tables if the corn fields were in space. <laughs> but yeah, the idea is that we need to be able to grow things both in space, but also in the facilities that we build on the surfaces we land on. So mm-hmm. potentially on the moon and at some point in the future, maybe Mars. And growing food is the best option. Livestock, obviously, is out of the question. You can't take a herd of cows or sheep up into space. But imagine if you did and they had their little space helmets helmets. on. That's what I was imagining. Cute. (laughs) Very cute. Back to it. The research into making this possible is growing. Back in November of last year, a new centre was established here in Australia. It's called the Centre for Excellence in Plants for Space, or P4S. $90 million is being invested into the centre and will include some 400 researchers from across the country. Okay. The centre will basically explore what are the best space food options for future missions and also what will keep astronauts' stomachs not only full but happy. And some researchers already have some ideas about that. So what have we got? What are some of the hot contenders for space food? Okay, so there's one and it's called duckweed. (laughs) (laughs) duck duckweed tell us about duckweed (laughs) evram okay so it's a leafy vegetable no uh, biological affiliation to ducks unfortunately Uh and also nothing to do with ducks on april the 20th (laughs) (laughs) that's a shame it is um it's in the lemnoidae family which is a subfamily of flowering aquatic plants They kind of look like tiny lily pads and they float on or just under the surface of freshwater bodies and wetlands. 
It's been part of the diet for people in many parts of Asia for millennia. It actually contains a bunch of the amino acids that humans need, as well as things like starch, fatty acids, and pretty much every vitamin apart from B12 and D. It's also been said that it contains up to three times as much protein as spinach. Oh. Yeah, so Popeye ate your heart out. Yeah, famously full of protein for big, strong Popeye muscles. Exactly. And according to one researcher, Associate Professor Jenny Mortimer from the University of Adelaide's School of Agriculture, Food and Wine, apparently duckweed tastes like whatever you grow it in. I know. And Mortimer insists one of her US colleagues has actually grown it in bacon, so you can have bacon-tasting duckweed. Everyone, that's wild. Yeah. So if I grew it in candy corn, it would taste like candy corn. Apparently. If I like grew it in gin, would it taste like gin? Or the botanicals too complex? What about a burrito? <laughs> Ever? All right, you're asking too many questions now. <laughs> I think I would do it in hot sauce. I do wonder if it would come out spicy though. Yeah. But there are a whole bunch of researchers looking at other things they can do with duckweed. Some are working on ways to make it produce vitamin D and improve its overall vitamin A output. Another researcher is looking at growing bioplastic construction materials with it. And others are trying to get duckweed to synthesize pharmaceutical compounds like aspirin. Whoa. Yeah, it's wild how multipurpose it is. But then obviously there are researchers looking at how to grow it in space, what conditions are required and exactly where in a spacecraft it might grow. So look, obviously there are lots of different applications here potentially and bringing it as a food source means it won't be the only thing that astronauts could be eating in the future. It'll add something else to the mix, hopefully to avoid them getting sick of eating the same old thing. All right, Evram, so not only might astronauts get to eat some new things like duckweed, expanding their intergalactic palates, if you will, Yep. but we're also talking about growing duckweed up in space. Yep. I'm sure there's a fine craft to this that we don't fully understand yet, but what are some of the things that we might have to consider when it comes to growing food in space? Yeah, definitely lots to consider. I mean, plants are pretty resilient, thankfully, but not all species behave the same way, especially when put into a completely different environment. And let's face it, space is as different an environment as you can get. Yeah. There are so many variables here. For example, how would plants cope when they don't know what way is up to lean towards the sun? Oh, yeah. Yeah, or like how, without as much gravity, will they wind their roots and leaves and branches? How do you control the way water moves in microgravity? How do you balance the atmosphere? Plants don't like too much carbon dioxide. I don't know the answer to any of these questions. <laughs> oh, well, I'm expecting answers, Sophie. <laughs> so there are so many variables here that we don't know the answers to. But mm -hmm. look, we won't know until we try. And some projects have already been successfully growing things in space. Okay. For example, last year, some Israeli researchers successfully grew chickpeas in space. So potentially space swimmers could go into an astronaut's diet. And as a good Mediterranean slash Middle Eastern boy, that makes me very happy. But we're really only at the outset of this because we're really at the outset of the potential for space exploration. Evram Yazgan is a science journalist for Cosmos magazine. This episode was originally based on an article by Jamie Seidel called Craved in Space. You can read that article in the latest print edition of Cosmos Magazine. You can become a subscriber by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Darcy Thompson. 
I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.